Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 444 Wednesday, March 9th. Coming up on the show today, we'll give you your golden nuggets from the guys at Club and Country as we get ready for match three of the 2022 MLS season. Mike Herndon makes his triumphant return with Zach Lyons of the Football and Other Efforts podcast to talk about the Harold Landry decision of the Tennessee Titans not to tag their pass rusher. But we begin with the Russell Wilson trade and what it means for the Titans in the AFC in 2022. We, of course, are brought to you every single morning by the Kingston Group. BuildKG.com is the website. Make sure you check out their work. If you own a home and you're going to make any big decisions, it's pretty clear you need all the information. So talk to the folks at the Kingston Group. They are locally owned, they're award-winning, and they've been successful in Nashville for over a decade for a reason. That's the Kingston Group, BuildKG.com. Make sure you talk to them before you make any big financial decisions about your house. All right? So the NFL tag deadline came and went on Tuesday. I will let Zach Lyons and Mike Herndon of the Football and Other F-Words handle that conversation for you. But obviously there was other huge news in the NFL on Tuesday. As we expected, Aaron Rodgers made his decision. It appears he will be returning to the Green Bay Packers as the highest paid player in NFL history. No surprise there. And Russell Wilson was traded to the Denver Broncos for 4,000 draft picks. And the real question is, what does this mean for the Tennessee Titans and for Ryan Tannehill and for the future of the organization. Number one, it makes winning the AFC just a little bit more difficult because now you have a Hall of Fame quarterback on a pretty decent organization with some decent weapons and a nice defense for the Denver Broncos, making the AFC West even more difficult and making the playoffs even more difficult, or at least winning games in the playoffs even more difficult. It makes the quarterback roster in the AFC that much more insane I know a lot of people like to argue all summer last year that Ryan Tannehill was a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. I always laughed at that clickbaity conversation from the summer, but he's barely a top 10 quarterback in the AFC now. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow. He is seventh or eighth best quarterback in the AFC. Best case scenario. It doesn't mean you can't win the Super Bowl. It doesn't mean you can't win the division or make a deep run in the playoffs. You absolutely can. But it does crystallize the issues that this franchise has at the quarterback position a little bit further now that all of the best players feel like they are congregating in the AFC. Yes, there's still Dak Prescott and Kyler Murray and Aaron Rodgers and Matthew Stafford in the NFC. But if you look at 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th best quarterbacks in the AFC, you're talking about Baker Mayfield, Ryan Tannehill, Derek Carr, Trevor Lawrence, First overall picks are barely top 10 quarterbacks in the AFC entering 2022. And what it does is it crystallizes the future of the Tennessee Titans. Ryan Tannehill's not going anywhere, folks. He's going to be the starting quarterback this season for the Titans. But with an out in the contract, him getting older, and clearly the Titans actively looking to potentially replace him, putting a trade offer on the table for Aaron Rodgers, for example. John Robinson actively talking about evaluating this draft class of quarterbacks in the first round with his first round pick. It's clear that the Titans have a massive decision looming at the end of next season. And sure, we can enjoy the ride until we get there. And is Tannehill good enough to lead this team to a Super Bowl? Absolutely, if everything else falls into place. The bottom line is and has always been that Ryan Tannehill is by far this Titans team's best chance to win now. That may not be the case entering next season, but it is definitely the case right now. And whether you love the guy or hate the guy, he is your quarterback this season, and he gives you the best chance to win right now. If we have this conversation next January, we might have different answers to those questions. But for now, 
It's Ryan Tannehill or bust. So as the franchise tag deadline has come and gone on Tuesday afternoon, the question is, did the Tennessee Titans do the right thing with pass rusher Harold Landry? Should they have franchise tagged him or not? They obviously would like to sign him to a long-term contract, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to give him premium dollars. So we turn to the guys at Football and Other F-Words, the podcast from Broadway Sports Media covering the Tennessee Titans, with Zach Lyons and Mike Herndon discussing exactly how much Harold Landry is worth. To the surprise of, I would say, the majority of the Titans Twitter and Titans fan base, Harold Landry is not tagged. Mike, tell the people why they should not freak out about Harold Landry not being tagged. The Titans were never going to let him play this season on the franchise tag. That, that was never an option. It was never a possibility. They could not have handled that kind of cap hit. The only way he's going to be back is on a long-term deal. So I guess the only benefit you get from using the franchise tag is, is trying to extend your negotiating window. But I think the way John Robinson looks at it, and I think he said as much before, is that sometimes when you're not coming together on numbers with a player, it, the best thing you can do is let them go out there and, hey, if you think that deal is out there, then go get it and bring it back to us and, and we'll talk then. But, you know, we think this is what market value is right now. I think John Robinson negotiates. I think he does use this at times as a way to get a guy back. I mean, we've seen guys not get tagged and then be re-signed, right? I mean, so it's not because they didn't tag Landry that he's walking by any means. Here's the thing. You can't take the risk of carrying an $18.2 million cap hit at the start of free agency because all teams by next Tuesday or Wednesday, I think next Wednesday, have to be under the salary cap. They're already over it. So if you tag him, then now you have another 18.2 you have to account for on your books. So they were never going to carry it into basically free agency. So I was like, okay, well, if they don't tag him, they can still get the deal done, still have him here. So there's no need to panic. If they don't get the deal done, what are they truly losing out of Harold Landry besides a guy that is, has proven to be durable despite his college career? I think the biggest thing they're losing is versatility. And but let, me, let, me, let me say something about this versatility thing. Can a guy with one pass rush move be considered versatile when he's well, not good in coverage <laughs> and he's not that great yeah. in run defense? Okay, so he, I, <laughs> you say he's not good in coverage. He's not good in coverage as, you know, he's not a, as good in coverage as like a safety or, or even a, a true inside linebacker. But he is really good in coverage for an outside linebacker, for a guy with his body type, for a guy that can do what he does. And they also play him off the ball as like a stack linebacker where he plays pretty well too. So that gives him versatility to line up and either like a, basically like a five, two or a four, three in the same personnel or even shift from one to another, which gives offenses trouble as far as blocking assignments, things like that. So he gives them a lot of versatility because they can line them up in so many different places. But as the years have gone by, I feel like I've gotten to know Harold Landry as a player better. And I think our first inclination that he's this like 
God level pass rusher who just needs to be cut loose on the edge at all times was incorrect. I don't think he's that guy. I don't think he can be a one a edge rusher. And I think that's going to be the problem that he runs into in his market is that he's not miles Garrett. He's not a Bosa. He's not one of these guys that you plug him in. And regardless of what else is going on on that defensive line, he's going to put up numbers because he's awesome. He's unblockable. That is not who Harold Landry is. He's a good pass rusher. He's got a really good ghost move or, or dip move, whatever you want to call it, around the edge, that speed rush that he uses. And he is good on stunts, which is uniquely valuable to the Titans defense. But he's not going to line up and just beat that tackle day in and day out, play in and play out. That's not who he is as a player. So it's a weird evaluation standpoint because, like, uh, you know, the guys had uh, 31 uh, sacks. 31 sacks. Okay. Not so including playoffs. So yeah, 31 sacks. Um, you know, he's put up good numbers. Yeah, you know, obviously coming off a 12 sack season, he's still only 25. He plays all the time. He's got a lot of value, but he just isn't like this pure pass rusher that I think some people like to make him out to be. That was Zach Lyons and Mike Herndon of the Football and Other Airports podcast, giving you sort of all the details and the minutiae of what you need to know about the Harold Landry contract negotiation standpoint. And a couple of things you need to know. Number one, if John Robinson is going to play chicken, I guess, with the free agent market and allow Harold Landry to go out and test the waters, that's a really cool approach if it works. It worked with Jayon Brown, and he came back to the fold. We will see if that applies to Harold Landry because someone might be willing to overpay him. I tend to agree with, with both Mike and Zach that there is some overvalue here, overvaluation of the skill set in terms of versatility, I think is a really nice player for his position, which on this team, the Tennessee Titans, as Mike would call it, a 1B pass rusher. I agree. He's not a 1A pass rusher, and it sounds like Zach agrees as well after talking to him a dozen times about this. Harold Landry's a really, really, really good player and culturally fits in very, very well with John Robinson, Mike Vrabel, and this defense but he is a second-tier player in terms of pass rush. He's a wide receiver, too, if that's a, a, a more appropriate analogy. He's number two to Bud Dupree. He's number two to Jeffrey Simmons, and that's what makes him valuable is that he can do a lot of things for his position as long as his position is not 1A pass rusher. And I agree with Zach and Mike that while he is a very valuable asset, he is not a pure 18, 19, $20 million number one pass rush force off the edge, and that the Titans were right not to franchise tag him. It's time for some golden nuggets about Nashville SC. The boys in gold have two road results against two of the best teams in the Western Conference, and Tim Sullivan and Wes Bolding, of course, are covering all of it over at the Club and Country podcast. This week, the guys explain just how important it is for this Nashville SC team to score first on the road and exactly how difficult it was in that environment against Minnesota. Another road result, the fifth straight road win or draw for Nashville SC and ninth in 10 matches dating back to last year. And again, we're counting Philly, uh, the playoff loss as a draw because it went to penalties. So it is officially a draw. So uh, so nine in 10 matches for the boys in gold away from home. And when Nashville scores first on the road in MLS, it is now eight, three and two. That's 10 results in 13 matches when it gets on the board first. Tim, you were there, as we mentioned. What did the early goal do to that Minnesota crowd? 
I have to hand it to the Wonderwall a bit, honestly. The Steam didn't really come out of their sales at that point. It didn't really come out of their sales until the uh, seemingly interminable lightning delay. And even then, it was like only the second time that the lightning delay was extended that they really started to take off. And um, take off they did. Honestly, the, the, when the stadium refilled, that section probably only refilled about two-thirds or maybe a half. But that section is directly next to the press box, and the press box door was open. It was not that cold, honestly. It was probably 40 at kickoff, so... They, they were raucous. They were excited the whole time. And, you know, you usually would expect an early goal to kind of take the wind out of their sails, but it really didn't. And it was a solid group all evening, if uh, a slightly sparser one towards the end of the match. That was Wes Bowling and Tim Sullivan of the Club and Country podcast out every single week right here on the 440 Sports Network, brought to you by the wonderful folks over at ML Rose. We got watch parties every single weekend for the boys in gold. So make sure you're checking that out, the podcast, and then come by and have a beer and a burger as well. That's the Club and Country Podcast, everywhere podcasts are found. The Full 40 is brought to you every single morning by the Kingston Group. BuildKG.com is the website. It's Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm. And oh, by the way, they're award winning. So if you own a home and you're going to make a big decision, make sure you talk to the folks at the Kingston Group. That's BuildKG.com. BuildKG.com. Thank you guys all for listening, of course. Please make sure you rate, review, subscribe. Check out the YouTube page. Check out all the other podcasts from the 440 Sports Network, Broadway Sports Media covering the Titans as they enter free agency. Lots of great stuff, so make sure you check out all those other great shows on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. Again, thank you guys all for listening. At Braden Gall on Twitter, this has been the 440 for Wednesday, March 9th. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler.